Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. This podcast is made possible thanks to our patrons. Please join me in welcoming and thanking new patrons. Jennifer Savage-Renshaw, Shane Muir, Kathleen Orr, Gnarly Branch, Brandon Smith, Chrislyn Nicole, and Radiclue. We love our patrons. That's why everyone at Patreon gets immediate access to all Sunday and Wednesday productions early and commercial-free. And the rewards go up from there to include instant access to over 500 stories and counting, not to mention the four new stories added every week. There are also logo merch tiers, whose proceeds go to suicide prevention charity. To see how you can support the podcast and get rewarded, and for your rewards to have an impact on others, please check out the donation tiers at patreon.com slash creepypod. No. This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy Presents I used to work at an NSFL video store. Written by the Crooked Boy We called it Snuff in my day, but I figured I'd update my language for the internet crowd. Most people are familiar with the acronym NSFW. It stands for Not Safe for Work. That one's usually stamped over vanilla porn, nudes, etc. to keep you from clicking on something you're not supposed to. NSFL is one step up from that. Not safe for life. From what I understand, it's usually tagged over images or videos of a highly upsetting nature. Take an execution video, for example. Some unlucky schmuck getting flayed alive or chainsawed apart while he's still screaming. Or machete hacked limb from limb by guys in black masks. You'll see the NSFL tag before you click the video. So you know to stay away from it if you want to hold on to your lunch. Ever wondered who those videos are made for? Of course you have. And the answer probably sends your meat running cold and a flash of goosebumps sprouting up over your skin. They're made for teachers, parents, friends, bus drivers, politicians, bankers. They're made for people who get off on it. People who feel a warm tingle down south at the sight of a serrated knife running through an unprotected neck. The great rush of blood around the blade. The gurgle of the dying. It gets them hot and bothered. People love it. Nowadays, you can find most of it on the internet. Animals being thrown off roofs, torched alive, drowned, 
All that stuff's just a few clicks away. But back in the 90s and early 2000s, it was harder to come by. Rare shit. Like a foreign movie you'd been itching to see that hadn't gotten an American release. These were foreign films to some. Exotic is maybe a better word. Either way, I didn't realize there was such a market for the depraved until I took a job at Video Kingdom, a local video store in the outskirts of Seattle. I'm hesitant to tell you where. It closed down right after the time the economy imploded, but I'm fairly certain some of our old stock might be hidden away in the dungeon. That's what we called our back room, the dungeon. Some guy would come in, usually some white-collar sap with a Ned Flanders haircut and three kids at home. He'd trundle up to the counter, looking around like there might be FBI crouched behind the VHS racks, and he'd say, I'm here to rent a rare film, The Dungeon, by Carl Hinton. There'd be an exchange of glances. I'd look him up and down, pretend like I was sizing the fella up, you know. He'd scan the place nervously, look back at me with an almost apologetic expression that said, I swear I'm not fucked up. I'd shrug and lead him through a velvet curtain into the back room. We'd navigate boxes of VHS rentals. I'd pull aside an industrial shelf that concealed a hidden doorway. Lead him down a flight of stairs. Neon lights from a kitschy The Dungeon sign guiding the way. We'd hit a subterranean level and the fellow's eyes would turn to saucers, a hard-on tenting his pants as he wandered into our sicko's paradise. Welcome to the dungeon. I bet you're picturing some dimly lit hellhole stashed with black unmarked videotapes. <laughs> Not this place. This is a classy establishment. Carpeted, paneled walls, lounge chairs. Dimly lit, sure, but like a cigar lounge is dimly lit. We had back rooms with TVs so the clients could taste whatever they'd chosen from our vast array of tapes. There were dozens of categories, like any regular video store, featuring everything under the sun. We had a whole section dedicated exclusively to people being run over by steamrollers. They were sourced from all over the world, I was told. Mostly Eastern European, Asia. I took it as gospel. I hadn't watched any of the stuff. It should be noted that anything relating to kids was forbidden. That was where we drew the line. If some guy came in asking for that, we'd send a few heavies to his house with knuckle busters and orders to maim. We were scrupulous. A morally inclined organization. But everything else? Fair game. I know you're probably thinking I'm some mentally warped scumbag drifting through life one slaughter video after the next. You'd be wrong. I never watched the tapes. Never joined up to sell them either. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was 22 the summer I started working at Video Kingdom. And by the time Halloween rolled around, the owner of the place had me roped into his sixth scheme. By that point, I was too deep to get out. He had me by the scruff with an ugly knife tucked up under my jugular. Metaphorically speaking. I'm going to spare you the story of how I got involved. It's long and boring and surrounds me seeing something I shouldn't have while smoking weed in the storage room after work. The story of how I quit is much more interesting. I'm here to rent a rare film, 
he said. The Dungeon by Carl Hinton. I could tell this guy was bad news. He looked like he was grown somewhere dark and moist. A basement-dwelling freakazoid. Crusty, slightly overweight, enough grease in his hair to keep the McDonald's fire running for a year. Big Van Helsing-style leather overcoat. Combat boots. Unlike most folks, he wasn't nervous either. He was confident. Smug, even. I could tell he was a veteran. That gave me pause. I was sharing air with no run-of-the-mill freak. This guy was one step away making his own tapes. If only I'd known. I would have said, Sorry, sir, we don't carry that. That's what we fed to unscrupulous figures. It was at the clerk's discretion. We had carte blanche to turn away anyone we wanted. But I didn't. I gave him the up-down. He never broke eye contact. His eyes were bright, amused. They were alive. Like two black pools of oil just waiting for a spark. I swallowed. Right this way. He knew his way around the dungeon. That was odd. I'd never seen this fucker before. And if he'd been a regular, I'd have known. There were a few other people browsing. One guy who looked like a wet muskrat. Another who was at least 400 pounds. There was a woman too, real dominatrix type. Over six feet, hard features, prim hairdo. My guy didn't spare a glance at any of them. He hurried to the vault. That's what we called the old school vault door tucked into the back corner of the dungeon. It had a wheel handle with a combination dial in the center. All that remained of the bank that used to live here. I had never been through the vault door. Didn't even know it was on the other side. I honestly thought it was just there for decoration. For atmosphere. In my six months as an employee of Video Kingdom, this was the first time I'd ever seen it open. The guy spun the combination, hiding his activity behind a cupped arm, like that annoying kid in class who wouldn't let you copy off his test. I heard a heavy click. He cranked the handle, and the vault door wheezed open. The skeevy guy slipped inside, slamming it shut before I got a good look at what stood beyond. It nagged the hell out of me. Like an itch you can't scratch. I had to know it was beyond that door. But I knew better than to ask questions in a place like this. I was the highest paid video clerk in the world for a reason. I could have gone to Carl. Carl is in The Dungeon by Carl Hinton. Fake name, obviously. But a real enough guy. He was short. Big personality. Like a Danny DeVito type. I'd only met him a few times, but he always treated me like a son. Slaps on the back, mussing my hair. Hell, he even called me son. But I didn't go to Carl. Because asking questions meant I was curious. And you don't get curious unless you're interested in the merchandise. So I decided to check it out on my own. Christmas Eve. Slowest night of the year. I was clerking the dungeon while my colleague ran the upstairs. It had been empty for a while, so I decided to take a peek. Had I known the guy from a few months ago would be showing up. The one I first saw under the vault. I'd have kept my ass glued to the chair. 
I wouldn't have gotten curious. What was the fucking combination? I tried a few random spins. 11, 20, 263, JFK's assassination. 4, 20, 18, 89, Hitler's birthday. No dice. The vault was locked up like a nun's underwear. I thought. Racked my brain. Then it hit me like a freight train. The Kissinger tape. This was one of our videos I had seen. Carl made all the newcomers watch it. It was the first known snuff film. It was like the Santa Claus of the forbidden VHS community. A white whale, rare and iconic. Anyone who's familiar with it or worth their scruff can tell you what day it was filmed on. That was easy. Thanksgiving, 1929. I remember watching it for the first time. A sepia-toned nightmare. A galaxy of grain shooting across each gory frame. I won't tell you what's on it. Well, what the hell. It's as a family of Depression-era farmers tied up in their field. Ma, Pa, Grandma, Grandpa, and two gangly teenage boys on the wrong end of their horse-pulled plow. Story goes, they had some big beef with one of the big corporations who owned their land. That was all the man got you back then. You sold some of your land for loans to buy seed or whatever, and once you took the loan, there was no getting out from under them. The corporations would twist and squeeze until you owned nothing but the clothes on your back. Pa was clever, figured it out, started corralling up all the farmers in the union to expose the banks. Banks didn't like that. So they hired some outside hands to make an example. And it was made at 24 frames per second. Now here I was, some 50 years later, spinning their death date on a dial. I spun to 29 and heard a satisfying click. It had fucking worked. My hand was shaking, trembling a little. Shot with adrenaline, I gripped the vault handle. Spun the wheel. Thunk. The vault door wheezed open. Stale air and darkness spilled out. There was a bucket of flashlights on the floor. I grabbed one and clicked it on. A cone of light shot ahead, illuminating a bank vault. Metal walls crushed in. Pegs drilled into the walls held various weapons. It was like a fucked up toy box. Guns, knives, razor wire, chainsaws, hacksaws, pliers, scalpels. Everything that cuts and scrapes and plays with nerve endings was hanging from the walls. There was a pit in my stomach. Not just at the collection of tools, but at the gaping hole eating through the back wall of the vault. It had been tunneled through the flowered steel, a narrow rocky corridor snaking off into the earth. I inched towards it, hesitant, my heart beating its fist against my eardrums. I grabbed a scalpel off the wall, tucked it into my pocket as I moved into the corridor, figuring I might need a weapon for what loomed ahead. I left the vault door cracked, listening for movement beyond. I didn't hear any. Didn't hear the basement-dwelling guy from before enter the dungeon. Didn't hear him follow me into the vault. I'd already found my way into the studio by then. The passage was rocky and claustrophobic, 
just tall enough so I didn't have to stoop. After 20 minutes of banging my shins and elbows on the narrow, craggy walls, I hit a dead end. I exhaled, irritated and relieved. A horse race of thoughts been galloping through my head as to what I might find. I was glad my worst nightmares weren't about to materialize. Then I looked closer and saw a false panel blocking off the egress. I moved the panel aside and stepped forward, finding myself in a crowded basement space. There was furniture, beds, set pieces stacked high. It was like a prop house that a movie studio might employ for set design. There was a concrete ramp at one end. I hesitated, not sure I wanted to see what it led to. But of course I did. I negotiated the crowded room up the concrete ramp. It fed me into a soundstage. It was a wide warehouse-like space with soundproofed walls and a network of dead overhead lights surrounding a number of different movie sets. There was a pink bedroom, an executive-type office, an outdoor-style scene in a mock forest. There were a few others I couldn't quite decipher from my vantage. It was quiet. And then it wasn't. There was a delicate sound, like an animal caught in a snare. A slight whimpering laced into the silence. My whole body felt heavy, like it was encased in drying concrete. It was hard to move, breathe. I inched toward the noise, hyper aware of every movement, every crash thud of my heart, each breath sawing through my lungs. I nosed towards the whimpers and saw cages resolve out of the gloom. Lots of them. A dozen, maybe two. Inside, like tired, broken animals. Or men and women. Naked, cuffed, ball-gagged, curled up in a soup of their own filth. Most were limp, unconscious. A few were blurry, nodding in and out of consciousness as whatever drug they were on wore out. An icy bolt of dread shot through me. We weren't just a supplier of rare tapes. We're just a distributor. We were a producer. Carl Hinton made our videos. Most of them, at least. I heard footsteps behind me. Started to turn. Thud. Something hard and blunt cracked across my skull. A light bulb popped behind my eyes. I crashed down into the darkness. I knew my hands and legs were restrained even before I opened my eyes. I could feel the cuffs sticking into my flesh. My eyes eased open. Blinding light hammered my pupils. A violent white light from overhead hurt my eyes, stung them. Slowly, a movie set resolved around me. It was a beige office, crowded with paperwork and boxes of VHS tapes. I recognized it immediately. A facsimile of Carl's office. An exact detail-for-detail replica. A camera locked off in one corner, trained on me. I looked down at myself. I was still in my work uniform. 
hands and legs fettered to a bolted-down chair. I struggled, groaned, heard hushed voices. My back was to the door, so I had to fight in my seat for enough leverage to look around. The door opened. Carl Hinton entered. For an instant, I saw past him into the area beyond the set. I saw the greasy basement dweller with a suit who was handing over a pregnant duffel bag. Then the door swung shut, and Carl took his place behind his desk. Sorry it had to be like this, son, he said sadly. But it would have ended here either way. We don't do severance or 401k at Video Kingdom. He smiled at his little joke like it was the funniest thing in the world. I tried to ask him what the fuck was going on, but I couldn't. I was gagged. Muted syllables escaped. Carl frowned. Don't bother, kid. You're fired. That's a segment we do from time to time, when employees of the dungeon hit expiration. You're fired. We don't stock it in Video Kingdom for obvious reasons. But I hear it's a big hit in Japan. I struggled against my binds, fought, screamed into my gave. Carl just watched, slightly amused. Go on, keep it up. They love it. You know they do. You're giving them what they want. I fought harder, rattling my binds until my wrists bled. Carl sighed. The guy who's going to fix you is a regular. Real vanilla Joe, but he pays well. He'll saw open your throat. One and done. You won't suffer. I screamed something into my gag. He smiled, piecing together my question. Nobody will come looking, son. We're processing your paperwork so it'll look like you got fired two weeks ago. I liked you, kid. I really did. Sorry it had to be like this. He got up and left. I struggled for a while, not sure how long. At some point, the guy in the suit passed through the room like a cold draft. A real plain guy. Might sell insurance, maybe real estate. Probably had a wife and a few pups back at home. Maybe a pool. He fingered the camera. The red recording light blinked on. With a sigh that said, Sheesh, this is not the position I want to be in. He claimed the spot behind the desk, pretending to be my boss. He was practically vibrating with excitement as he started through a poorly written script about how my employment was being terminated. I didn't hear any of it. I was focused on something else. The scalpel I'd tucked into my back pocket. My hands grazed the handle, just out of reach. I strained harder vaguely aware the guy was done talking. He was rising now, producing a big bowie knife with a serrated blade. He was walking over to me. I could smell his aftershave. Something minty. I got the scalpel between the tips of my fingers. He yanked my head back, exposing my neck, getting ready to slice through the big net of veins pumping blood to my brain. The bowie knife went up, The scalpel slid out, slipped, fell. I reached out and caught it just in time. The bowie knife came down. I saw a wink of light off its polished blade, 
I gripped the scalpel and stabbed. It was a blind stab, inhibited by my lack of wrist movement. But he was right behind me and standing crotch level within the arch of my swing. The scalpel sunk through hot flesh. I felt it burrow through skin and gristle. I felt something pop as it sunk in further. When he screamed and the boy knife went tumbling, I knew I caught him in the testicle. I fumbled the scalpel, nearly dropped it. It was greasy with blood and seminal fluid. I got my grip on it, plunged it into the handcuff lock, worked it around. Click. The handcuff sprung, fell away. The suit was rolling around, groping his groin. Blood roared through his fingers. He was howling, agony. I bent down for my leg fetters as the door flew open. Carl and Basement Dweller tried to rush in at the same time. They got stuck in the doorway. It was a bit of slapstick, which would have been comical had I not been on the wrong end of a snuff movie. My leg fetters fell free. By now, Carl and Basement Dwelling Van Helsing had stormed the room. My scalpel flew up, caught Van Helsing in the jugular. He flopped down, a great spray of arterial blood shooting from his neck. Carl grabbed me, shoved me back. We hit a wall. Framed pictures of the ocean hit the floor and shattered. Carl throttled my neck, his knuckles digging in and sealing off my windpipe. I stabbed blindly. The scalpel went through his cheek with sickening ease. I ripped up. A mist of blood sneezed out as I opened his face like a zipper. He grunted, howled, lost his grip on my neck. His hands went up to his face, trying to wrench free the scalpel embedded there. I planted my foot on Carl's stomach and kicked it with everything I could muster. He flew back, toppling ass over tea kettle over his desk. I heard bones break. The room was a mess of screams and blood. I popped the VHS tape out of the camera and bolted for freedom. I was about to stuff it in my pocket when my gaze caught the duffel bag I'd seen the suit hand over. I ripped it open and was met with cash. Lots of cash. Enough to run away on. Enough to start anew. I shoved in the VHS and grabbed the duffel, never looking back. I don't know if any of them survived. But I do know Video Kingdom remained open. It held its spot in the Seattle Yellow Pages until it closed. I'd send for the book each year, have them mail it to my little corner of America, along with the newspaper which I'd pour over for articles about my old boss. I never saw any. Since then, I've lived like the Unabomber. My world's limited to a quiet cabin in the woods, my weekly trips to town for essentials. Otherwise, I keep to myself. Always looking over my shoulder. Always carrying the guilt over those men and women I left behind. Guilt over the things I haven't done about what I've seen. You probably think I would have gone to the cops. I didn't. I took the tape and ran. Had I forfeited the footage, I would have lost all leverage against the people who want me dead. That VHS is my bargaining chip. All I have left. After I escaped the dungeon, I mailed an anonymous letter to Video Kingdom telling them I'd made copies which would be screening in every police precinct in Seattle if I were ever harmed. This was a lie. There was only one copy of the tape. It was hiding in a shoebox under my bed, along with the little cash I had left. 
I started this transcript because I've been seeing strange things lately. Fresh faces in town. SUVs with tinted windows. I can't help but feel they're following me. Watching. And sometimes, if I stare at those tinted windows long enough, I can see the eye of a video camera on the other side. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For your bonus episode, Creepy Presents Life Extension Program. Written by Y2 Just Dog and narrated by Danielle Hewitt. It was only a matter of hours before my sweet wife, Ashley, was going to pass. The chronic disease she paddled for years was ready to deliver the punishing knockout blow. As I sat by her side in our bed, we had a homemade DVD playing on the TV, showing some of our most cherished memories. When the DVD reached the end, I popped it out and a fascinating TV commercial grabbed my attention. Do you have a loved one who will soon be leaving this world? Will the pain be too immense without them in your life? We can help. With the Life Extension Program, we can extend your loved one's life and keep them alive and healthy. There's still time for you to create memories. If this is an urgent request and time is of the essence, dial the number on the screen and we'll send a technician to your door in less than an hour. Act fast because Life Extension Program kits are limited. I looked at my wife. She looked at me. It's worth a shot. I'm not ready to lose you, babe. I said to her as tears formed around her green eyes. She was unable to communicate vocally with me this far into her disease, but she returned a huge smile and nodded her head to the best of her ability. I called the number, and as promised, Knox arrived at our front door shortly after. A tall, burly man in a blue uniform and a cap walked in with a box filled to the brim with wires and electronic devices. He cleared the bedside table and started setting everything up. How long does she have? He asked. Probably two or three hours at most. I grabbed Ashley's hand. It's okay, sweetie. This is going to work. Sign here. Standard procedure in case anything goes wrong. The man said, handing me a document. Anything goes wrong? Like she dies? Have you done this successfully before? That's classified information, sir. Our company is in a private sector. If you just sign here, I can get started. I was beginning to think that it was not such a great idea to go through with it. But seeing Ashley and her eyes closed, fading fast, was too much to handle. I scribbled my signature. This may hurt just a little bit, but only for a moment. The man inserted wires into her ears and nose. He clamped little devices on her fingers and even her tongue. Just try to remain as calm as possible. 
just a small pinch. The man flipped on a switch on a little device that looked like a portable external hard drive. Ashley winced and twitched as her body stiffened. All done. The man unhooked the wires and returned them to his box. You see? That wasn't too bad. She's a real trooper. You've got a strong woman here. Congratulations on extending her life through the Life Extension Program. If any questions come up, here's my card. So, that's it. She's going to be okay now? That's it. This truly is a revolutionary product we've built here. Thanks again for your time. An invoice will arrive in the mail. With that, the man exited our house. I cuddled with Ashley as the clock ticked. An hour passed and then another. Eric, I feel... better. She murmured next to me. I could not believe my ears. That was the first time she communicated verbally in six months. Only problem was, my name is not Eric. Thanks for taking care of me, honey. Must have been a bad cold. It is cold season, after all. Ashley sat up and rested her back against the headboard. I looked on confused. You remember me, right? I'm your husband, Jeff. Ashley's face went pale. She jumped up from the bed and stood over me. You're not Eric. You can't be. You look different. Where is Eric? What did you do with him? Ashley ran out the door and through the living room and eventually outside. I chased after her. She was running like an athlete, too fast for me. I lost sight of her turning around the corner of the block, so I hopped in my car and drove through the neighborhood looking for her. It was dark and rainy out, but I finally found her on a swing at a park a few blocks away. From inside my car, I watched her swing back and forth, higher and higher until she let go. She soared awkwardly and smashed her head against the concrete. A wet crunch. I rushed over to check on her. She wasn't breathing. She was dead well before the paramedics arrived. Over the following few days, I frantically called the Life Extension Program's number, looking for answers. Nobody picked up. I searched online all over for anyone else that may have used their services. I posted threads on various forums. A week passed when I received a phone call from a distraught man in his 60s named Jay. He told me his wife Grace had perished in a swing accident. Jay said that he'd accepted a large amount of money to allow the Life Extension Program Company to use Grace's body for research. Ever since I lost Ashley, I have felt betrayed and sick to my stomach. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what exactly happened and how it happened. It's not crazy to think that Grace's memories were planted into Ashley, right? But how did Ashley gain so much strength? I need more answers. I have to keep digging. For even more from Creepy, including how to submit your own story for consideration, please visit creepypod.com. You can also follow us at creepypod on social media and YouTube. All stories told on this podcast are used under license and may not be rebroadcast or distributed without the express prior written consent of the story's author. Please contact us at creepypod at gmail.com for further information on obtaining the rights necessary to rebroadcast or distribute a particular story.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Item number SCP-5186. SCP-7160. SCP-7533. Object class. Euclid. Keter. Safe. Special containment procedures. Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust. <laughs> the only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing. Do you remember your name? Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.